Hi, I'm Melissa Chen. And I'm Angel Eduardo. We're the hosts of the Fair Perspectives podcast, and we're excited to announce our show is moving to a new YouTube channel. Thank you to all of our listeners who have helped make Fair Perspectives the success that it is, with enough content to need its own home. Keep following the show at our new channel, Fair Perspectives, with the link in the description below. Please subscribe there to make sure you don't miss our upcoming episodes. We're thrilled to have you as part of the Fair community. Hi, and welcome to Fair Perspectives, the official podcast of the pro-human movement, brought to you by the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. I'm your host, Melissa Chen, and my co-host, who you will hear from shortly, is Angel Eduardo. Today, we're speaking with William Roosh. William is a Los Angeles-based high school teacher, social scientist, and host of the Cylinder Radio podcast, which focuses on deep explorations of controversial and contentious topics. Through his work, Will is working to change the standard school model from one that exchanges imagination for compliance to one that uses imagination to innovate. In this episode, we discuss his role as an educator in public and private school systems, political differences amongst teachers, his run-ins with Nicole Hannah-Jones and other proponents of CRT, tackling controversial topics in the classroom, CRT and K-12 education, the increasing distrust between parents and teachers, and his approach to constructive engagement on social media. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Mr. William Roosh. Will Roosh, thank you so much for joining us today on Fair Perspectives. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is really, really cool. Thank you. It's, it's nice to be here. Now, you and I know each other a little bit, mm-hmm. but I think, I think too few people know who you actually are and what your background is. So why don't you give us a little bit of an overview? Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I'm just a high school teacher. I've been teaching high school for 16. I'm going to my 17th year in Los Angeles, very diverse communities in Los Angeles, like poor, homeless, gang infested areas. Um, and then like rich, like private schools, you know, that, that are in Beverly Hills. So I've kind of gotten a whole bunch of different takes different communities of the city and teach social studies, every area of social studies. So I've written sociology classes and now I'm focused on more on civics, government, and a little bit of U.S. history too. I've been teaching U.S. history straight through. But in 2017 or 18, I was watching some of the, the starts of this culture war stuff on the universities with uh, Nick Christakis and Brett Weinstein, Jordan Peterson, and people like that. And I go, oh, there's elements of this in K through 12, but no one seemed to talk about it because people don't talk about K through 12 education very much. Mm-hmm. And so I started bringing up some of these issues in my classroom and the kids were kind of responding to it because they were seeing certain things and there was good dialogue happening. And I came home, I was telling my wife about it, who does online marketing using social media. And she's like, you should put this stuff on Instagram. It's like, what? It's like, yeah, put your class on Instagram. People will like it. It's like, I don't, that feels so weird talking to my phone. Like it just feels very strange to me. But when I framed it as it's an expansion of my classroom, I was like, okay, I'm going to bring this kind of discussions that I have, kind of topics that I go over in my classroom just to social media and put it out there. 
And it resonated with people. And I, so I did that. And then I started a podcast just as an excuse because there were people I wanted to talk to, you know, from who had very different perspectives on life. And I wanted to just talk to them. And I was like, this is valuable. These conversations having people are valuable. Maybe I could just share it. So it seems like everyone has a podcast nowadays. So sure, I'll start a podcast. So in 2019, I started a podcast and it's called Cylinder Radio because the idea is like, that's like a circle. And then that's like a rectangle. So like, it's like, you know, three dimensional. So you take like a controversial issue and you kind of work out all the different angles of it. It's been really fun. I got to meet a lot of different people mm-hmm. and that's the kind of stuff that I'm up to now. And it's, it's, it's great. Really, That's enjoyed. interesting. I was going to ask you about the, the title of the podcast there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, you as a, as a history teacher in particular, as someone whose expertise lies in that area, recent years must've been particularly frustrating for you. What was, what has that been like? Cause I know some people who are history teachers and uh, scholars of this mm-hmm. sort of thing, and they are being driven crazy by all the madness going around. Yeah. What do you think yeah, I mean, that's I'll, going on with I'm, you? I'm biased. So I, but I think like all problems can be solved with good education. So, mm-hmm. you know, all, a lot of these issues are just ignorance and we're all ignorant. So there's nothing wrong with being ignorant, but, but we should try to, fix that. You know, you don't be willfully ignorant. And if you are ignorant, then you should, you know, just be like, okay, well, what am I missing from this? And that's what education is supposed mm-hmm. to be. So it's really frustrating. Yeah. All kinds of stuff, whether it's our federalist system that we have, you know, just our history, our really ugly history and beautiful history and how they kind of work together. And we just, when you look at history, you see that it's like, it's terrible. And a lot of good can come from those terrible things. So we kind of have to like work it out. And people are so polarized now. They're so stuck in their camp. So they have to only get a piece of, of history. You know, you and I were talking a little bit earlier about, about Frederick Douglass. It's like, it's the whole 4th of July speech. It's not just a, the part that, that, is, that you isolate. So it's, that's been frustrating, but I see why. It's, I think that my field of education has been really corrupted by, you know, political agendas and, and, and things like that. And that, that's been really frustrating as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Will, about, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that you do teach in the LA area, the Los Angeles area. And it seems like Los Angeles in particular, California, has uh, some unique kinks going on with education right now. There's a lot of news articles about what's going on with the liberated ethnic studies requirements. It seems that it's a radical time for education and that a lot of this is coming uh, top down, either state level or county level. Mm. Um, What is your experience with this in Los Angeles? Yeah, so I agree with you. It, it starts, you know, colleges of education and stuff like that are just overwhelmingly on one side of the political aisle. I'm a big like viewpoint diversity person. So I worked with Heterodox Academy. I love Jonathan Haidt's work and and things like that. That's so, awesome. Yeah, it's it's the best. And the problem is, isn't that left is bad? It's that it's only one piece of the of the understanding of it. And when you know the the teachers unions are are aligned with the Democratic Party, and then all of the colleges of education are left. I mean, I've been you know. A, Democrat voter my whole life, but I, I realized that there's something missing. So I taught in public schools up until 2013. And then I, I just wasn't a fit. I just couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. So I found a private school to go teach. At, and that's where I've been for a while now. I'm going into whatever it is, nine or 10 years at this private school where they basically let me do my thing, but I'm still connected with a lot of my friends who teach public school. And it's very, very politicized. I mean, it just is. And it's, 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 there's like strange things like there's Black History Month, which is fine, great. And then within that, there's like LGBTQ week within Black History Month. And they lump them together saying like, this is the same thing. So it's a lot of this like very interesting kind of just political moves by 
by the districts and things like that. Uh, and then just in general in education, it's happening in Los Angeles, you know, especially is there's a lot more kind of bureaucracy and there's consultants. So there's less teachers. Teachers are getting a bigger load. When I was teaching public school, I had 48 kids in a class. And I was teaching in a tough, what? like kind of gang infested area. And it was me and the 48 kids. And these were like, I had like three pregnant girls and kids with, you know, ankle bracelets on and stuff like that. And they needed personal attention. But instead, they were, they were all over the place. And we had a ton of just consultants coming in telling us about the newest fad and how to teach where what we needed was just smaller class sizes and like get back to the basics of like teach these kids how to read, teach them basic, basic arithmetic, oh not teach them a lot of this stuff that is actually out there, like, you know, teaching them like victimization and stuff like that. I know that's like a political point that you get on like Tucker Carlson, but yeah. there is that stuff going on, at least here. Well, what would you say to people who would react by saying something to the effect of, you know, it's always been political. Like it's not, this isn't a new thing. It's just that the politics, we're trying to change yeah. them. And the reason we're trying to change them is because the status quo wasn't working or the status quo was actually leaving things out or doing things the wrong way. It's similar to the ignorance thing, right? Like everyone mm. claims that they are ignorant, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and it's always... So, so it's, it's kind of weird because the accusation can fly in both directions and there can be merit to it in both directions. So what do you think of that? For sure. I think that there, what's changed, and I think this seems fairly recent, maybe it's a Trump thing, maybe it's like right before Trump thing, I don't know, but it's not, there, it was always political, but you could have political discussions and not say the person who disagrees with me politically is like a bad, immoral human. And that's, I think, where the big change is is, you know, there would always be teachers who would have political stances and someone would be left, someone would be right, maybe more left, whatever. But if uh, one of their students had a different perspective, it was like, let's hear it out. And then I might be able to, to defeat it, which is fine. Like you have really bad ideas. I, that's my job to kind of maybe highlight some of the bad elements of your, of your thinking. But the, to say that you're a, a bad person, not the idea is bad or the, or the, or the um, stance has, has flaws that you that you don't see, or you know, could lead to unintended consequences mm -hmm. or anything like that. It's that you're an immoral person for thinking this way or supporting that politician or that political stance. That is what I think has changed. That seems to be like the the difference that I see. Mm -hmm. I think this, you know, it's one thing for to say or to make the claim that it is political. This is a you know a political framing or an approach, and and almost everything is. But it's another when we're gambling with kids' futures. It seems to me that um, a few things have kind of um, become cemented more and more increasingly as dogma in education. Mm -hmm. And one is this idea of, of equity, of, of making sure that kids all have this equal outcomes, even in testing, mm -hmm. to the point of changing testing standards, right? And, and so we see that in testing, we see that in admissions criteria. And so this seems to me to be quite a wholesale rejigging of what the system was. And, and it seems like it's also, you know, very difficult for teachers like yourself to question. And, and that's why I applaud you for, for putting your thoughts so much out there. Um, we are living in a time where I think like just questioning certain narratives is seen as dangerous. And in a way, like by putting all this debates that you're having on social media, you are painting a target on your back. I know you're modeling... Uh you know, we're modeling the, the kind of behavior that you want your, 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 your students to actually look up to and think like, okay, this is an approach to, to questioning all these things in life. We should be open-minded. You're modeling that, but you're also exposing yourself to 
I guess, a lot of uh, negative uh, attacks. Um, have you experienced any consequences of expanding your classroom to social media? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, luckily, <laughs> the school that I'm at, though, is it's strange. I don't know how I ended up here. I never went to private school. I'm not part of the community, but it's a modern Orthodox Jewish school, which I just, I needed to go to a place that was like, that could just let me do my thing. Cause at public school, I would have gotten fired a long time ago. And I kind of saw the writing on the walls, even though it was before the culture wars kind of took, took, you know, ramped up the way that they did. But there's something in this culture that now I teach in that it's like, leave no stone unturned. So I've said things, I've stepped in things. I'm, you know, guys like, like back and forth with Nicole Hannah Jones and she blocked me and sent people after me and stuff. And like, and then oh, wow. letters come into my school that say, you know, essentially your employer racist, sexist, homophobe. And I, that would have been, that would have been a wrap. If I was at, you know, a school, like I'm friends with uh, Paul Rossi in New, in New York, um, you know, that would have happened at, at a lot of these, these private schools here, whatever in LA, then Hmm. it had been, it'd been trouble. If I was at a public school, it would have been trouble. I have friends who teach public and they are terrified of saying anything, but I'm at this, in this weird situation, this weird community, beautiful community that it goes into the, the leaders of the school. They're like, Hey, just so you know, we got this, these letters and they have like a whole bunch of letters. Like, but, and they, and I'm like, Oh, they're like, keep doing your thing. Wow. It's so the, the students like me, the parents like me and the administration there sees what I'm doing. So they've been ex extremely supportive. So I'm just lucky. I mean, that I'm very lucky to be wow. put in this situation. So it's not, this is actually kind of a, a interesting thing. Um, I don't get poison ivy. Like my dad doesn't get it. My sister doesn't get it. So when we were kids and like, a, you know, football went into the poison ivy, they'd be like, all right, we're just going and get it. And I just go get it. And I, it wouldn't form rashes on me. It's very interesting. And the situation I'm in now with teaching is similar. It's similar to that, not just where I'm teaching, but also my wife is awesome, you know, immigrant entrepreneur. So her, her, um, financial situation, it, it, like helps like alleviate some of the pressure off of me for our family. And because of that, there's a lot of teachers that are like, this is going on, but I can't say anything. And I'm like, I'll go get the football. Like I'll take it. So you can paint a, a target <laughs> on my back. It's not just that I'm more courageous. It's really not. I'm just, I'm just, I know that I'm in a, a very unique situation. I think it'd be, uh, it'd be a disservice to not use it. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting because you don't have, uh, the visible markers that would give you that kind of force field. Socially yeah, speaking, yeah. right? Like <laughs> you're, no. you're like very much, you're very much the center of the bullseye in terms of, you know. <laughs> oh, you should see my 23 and me. <laughs> my 23 and that, me that came was back. Such a <laughs> I was like, oh my God. That gosh. was the most diplomatic way anyone has ever said the phrase, you are a cis white man. Like that is the most diplomatic. I've that that was an art form. Yeah, my twenty my twenty-three and me came back and um it was like, all right, give me something. Give me something, because it doesn't always look and the visuals aren't great. Uh That's and amazing. I'm I'm ninety-nine point six percent German and then 0.4 percent British. So nothing. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah so but you have this amazing force field it's funny i have a friend who who doesn't get poison ivy either like nothing nothing mm, happens yeah. to him and it's he he had a similar thing in the boy scouts where they'd mm -hmm. send him into to check yeah so that, that's um, that's I'm, i i take that as my role for all of the kind of heterodox open-minded teachers out there that's that's why i started yeah. like the, the the community that i have on um for the heterodox academy a teacher's heterodoxy um, community and all that kind of stuff is like, I'll be your mouthpiece. Yeah. 
I don't know if it's if it's that much of a mystery though, Will, because I've seen you know Angel sent me your um, your Instagram page, and I was like looking through it, and some of the topics, even your your YouTube channel, some of the topics you touch on are really, really, really contentious. And mm-hmm. I know your students are watching this, right? You're mm-hmm. you're debating the Second Amendment. Yeah, you're debating abortion, the morality of abortion. I mean, these are really mm-hmm. hot topics. I I I don't even right now. I see no point in like you know, putting out an opinion after the next mass shooting, because I know it's going to go nowhere online. So I don't even, you know, try to do it. But here you are putting out videos and you're debating it and, and you're kind of modeling that, that cylinder, you know, yeah. that, that kind of theory that you just uh, discussed. So I, I kind of see why you don't have that target on your back. Cause I don't think you're being, you know, like the way your, your approach to these very contentious topics is so even handed, so fair and you're not trolly. I think when you're trolly, you have that kind of troll behavior. Mm-hmm. That's when you run into a problem. People do try to take you down and can take you down a lot more easily if if you embody um, embody that. So, yeah, I, I, I'm impressed that that you've you've kind of um, you know you've chosen to to tackle these very very contentious topics. Do you do that in the classroom as well? And how do you oh, handle yeah. when students have like you know, are, they're probably as divided as America. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. I and mean, the school, I mean, it, uh, politically it's very um, diverse because my like superpower for, for teaching is I am not that bright. So I am trying to figure <laughs> this out in real time. Like, I don't know. Here's why I think mass shootings are happening, but this is the best I've come up with. And I'm very curious. Like, this is a pretty serious thing. So I'm trying to look at all perspectives because I'm really trying to figure it out. Like, it's a very sincere, it's very sincere. There's no, like, who I am here is who I am. You meet me out there, like, who I am in the classroom. I'm just a very, very, very curious person. So I'm trying to figure this out. And if someone says that I'm wrong, I embrace that. A big thing is, like, seeking disconfirmation because why would I want to hold on to a bad idea? If you're saying, like, Will, you are wrong about this. Then my ears perk like, tell me, what am I missing here? Because I want to know. And then I have to like hear it. And then I like weigh that out with what I've already kind of established. And it's like, well, I don't know. But what about this? What about this? It's a lot of questions. So when kids push back, yeah. I just ask them questions. And what that does, like Socratic method, it reveals that they don't know much either. They know very little about, you know, gun laws and things like that. So they could have a really strong stance. And then I just ask questions to my students and it, they go, I don't know. And I go, yeah, so maybe I know, well, what about this, this, this? And I'll argue from their point, maybe even better than them. And then they're like, oh, okay, maybe I should look into this more. Like, yeah, that's what we're here for. Let's, let's do it together. You know, it's just, it's just a very, it's just trying to facilitate this like community of just being curious about how do we find the best, the best answers and the best pathway through this stuff. It seems so simple to me. I mean, I'm just like a first principles thinker. Yeah. I don't know. No, I think it is simple as long as your thinking or, or your your kind of your behavior hasn't been hijacked by something that dictates it, right? So there's the kind of I, I as somebody raised Catholic, I always think about this the the mm. you know the youth pastor saying, "Oh, we question our faith all the time," right? And I'm like, "Sure you do, as long as the answer gets you right back to where you started, right? right? You don't want to go anywhere weird." You know, that, that's, so, you know, that's just something I picked up on, but I think, I think you're right. And I actually was going to ask you what, um, you talked about like the, you know, the administration and the bureaucracy and all that sort of stuff. But what about the students? Because, you know, you, you mentioned earlier 
we were talking and you mentioned Nicholas Christakis, and that was a direct sort of uh, encounter with students that he had. Yeah. Do you have yeah. something similar like that? What's going on with from the student's perspective? So one of the things that I do is I form really good, good relationships with my students. So every day I have lunch. I don't have lunch in like the faculty lounge. I have lunch with a different student. So I first day of school, I pass around a big calendar. They sign it. And then we have lunch together. So I get to know them well. And I really, and when you get to know someone well, then you, you kind of like see the humanity in them and they see it in me. So, you know, it, it could be, you know, whatever drama nerds. It could be the captain of the basketball team. It could be whatever. It's like all different kinds of different people. And I get to know them. Like I really want to get to know them. And then that helps them to go, all right, well, he might have an idea that I think is wrong, but he's, he actually cares about me. So, all right, well, let mm-hmm. me try and figure this whole thing out. So that's, that's a big thing. Like, it's, it's shocking though. How many people don't talk to their parents or their siblings because they're like a Trump supporter or they're a Biden supporter or whatever. That is interesting to me. You know, I say something like you have a friend, you have a next door neighbor that you've known for 20 years and you know them to be a good person. And one day they show up in a MAGA hat. You have two choices. One is your neighbor who you've known for 20 years. You've been through all these things with is not who you thought they were. Or maybe MAGA hat wearers aren't what you thought they were. And it's shocking how many people do the first one. Um, but I try right. to always lean into think, hoping that my students will choose the second one. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and again, I, I do it from a soft, I'm a school teacher, we're soft hearted people, you know, like, I'm going in from a from a soft standpoint of like, I actually care. Like, if I'm against affirmative action, it's because I actually care about, you know, uh, minority students doing well in their futures. Like it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not a trolling thing. It's like, I actually care a lot. Yeah. And the, the, actually the inverse happens as well, where, you know, if someone, you know, if, if it's, if you suddenly see a a really close friend in a MAGA hat, you, you're going to immediately just say, oh, well, it turns out I was wrong about the last 20 years. Right. Yeah. And then the inverse kind of happens too, where if you see somebody who you, maybe you don't know them at all. But they, they're wearing the right t-shirt and they're saying the right things, but then they do something that you would otherwise disagree with. You're more likely to just let that go let or it ignore it or rationalize yeah. it. Yeah. 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 And, and that, that kind of, to me also, you know, is, is an interesting consequence of this um, kind of increasing view of the world uh, through the lens of race, because, you know, I, I think the the big debate in the last couple of years um, in K to 12 has been just how pervasive critical race theory or critical race theory tenets have been mm-hmm. in K to 12 curricula around the world, around America. And, and this just seems to be such a, a hot button issue right now. And, and it's, it's, this is the kind of issue that, that people are now increasingly just adjudicating entire news stories, um, you know, or, or, or people, uh, you look at somebody and now you've elevated this, um, you know, immutable characteristic as, yeah. as such a, a soul, um, you know, just a, a, a way to look at this person and almost like you can tell everything about a person, whether or not privileged, not privileged, um, you know, should go to Harvard, not go to Harvard, that kind of thing. And, and yeah. it's, it's, that's where that becomes very pernicious. I know, Will, that you have had very complex debates with critical race theory advocates, other teachers who, who yeah. do teach it in, in their schools and, and, mm-hmm. What is your view of what you're witnessing, at least in, in your neck of the woods? Because I know education in America is so unique. It's not 
it's not federalized in the same way. And, 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 and everything depends on school districts, the structure of the schools. Are you in a charter school? Are you in a, a public school? But how are you viewing this like national debate about critical race theory and potentially the, the backlash to it? Yeah, I really, and this is like, may seem like a little thing, but it, it's, it's big to me is I really try not to have debates. It really is discussions. Because I think debate is like, I'm going to try and win. I'm going to try and prove them wrong. And I'm really not. I'm trying to understand it. Like, I, I, if, I'm, if I'm wrong, I want to know. I'm not going to, I'm not I think in a debate, you'll, you'll intentionally straw man. You'll intentionally ignore the problems with your arguments and stuff like that. And that's, that's not an interest to me. So I've tried to have conversations, not even to say critical race theory is bad, but trying to say like, why are you doing this? So critical race theory, the way that I, I think that's what's happening is I was invited on like Fox News and Glenn Beck and stuff. And they just wanted to talk about how, like literally they were saying like, it's terrible. There's nothing to it. It's all nonsense. I don't think it is. I don't, I think there's elements of it that are obviously really flawed, but I think there's like, if you take an example is like, so critical race theory would be you, you look at a, at a law and you try to break it down to see, is there racism built in it that's not uh, overt, that's not like right on the surface. So I look at the war on drugs. What John Ehrlichman said under Nixon, very racially motivated. They do the war on drugs to, to you know, lock up people that are like you know, undesirable people. <laughs> you know, it included you know, racial elements of that. And then it works. Drug use is the same among all, you know, white and black people, but then incarceration rates and arrest rates and all that stuff. I think that's a good tool to use. The problem is it's not meant to be the only tool. It's one to, to then take you the next step of like, how do we fix it? And is it really there? Let's break it down with some good social science. And that's what's not happening. So it's just the first part of let's uncover racism wherever we can find it and not do any of the other stuff of like confirming, is that even true? And then if it is, what do we do about it? So they're giving these these, this like agenda for kids to point out how they're just been wronged over and over and over again, and then not give them any pathway out of that. And that just seems cruel to me. Like you had um, Eric Smith on the podcast, like his whole thing is like, this is the opposite of empowering. And, and I, I, I agree completely. That's, that's a real, a real problem. And that's what's going on. Cause it's just so easy. It's so easy to say that racism is bad agreed. So let's just say that. And then, you know, we just, we can just structure everything around that very basic premise. And then I think a lot of people, you know, white people, you know, especially like, you know, soft hearted, you know, more progressive people are so scared. John McCorder says like they pee in their pants a little bit to push back at all. So they just kind of go along with it because they're so scared. And I Mm -hmm. am not going to just go along with it. Mm -hmm. I want to know more. And you've, You've had uh, discussions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, about, this one that went pretty CRT. viral. Yeah, yeah. So, well, well, first you talked to Mark Lamont Hill, who, who mm. I, I really admire his his, you know, desire to do this and willingness to do it. Yeah, uh, and you know, he definitely knows his stuff. So when yeah. someone comes on and doesn't know what they're talking about, you're gonna know, right? Yeah. But what was your experience talking to him like? Uh, it was fine. I think that he he kind of is like more in the the debate mindset though. Like he was, Mm. he would, he would, he's, yeah, he's really sharp and he's just fast. So he'll just, and I'm like, I'm slow. So I'm like trying to keep up. It's also network TV. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always breaks for commercials and stuff like that. And I think that I agree with you. I liked what he was doing. It was really cool to to be able to talk to him, but he didn't seem super open-minded to 
what I was saying. So I was bringing up like just the importance of viewpoint diversity within the black community for kids, mm-hmm. considering that uh, Paul Rossi was one of the reasons he was let go was he wanted to bring in Glenn Lowry into his class. And he was told right. that that would confuse his students. Like this is absurd. So I wanted to just bring yeah. that in. I'm always looking for common ground, even with the one that went viral that you were talking about with like the three critical race theory educators. I was, yeah. Tell us about that. Tell us about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Melissa, did you see that? I did. Ooh, yeah. No, no, I, I did see that. I, and the, the part that really got me was the debate on whiteness. And, yeah. Yeah. Whiteness is property and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. So um, I'm in this world now where there's like a couple of like teachers, teacher Instagram, teacher influencer. Oh, influencer makes me want to throw up. <laughs> like, I guess that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, and there's a couple of them. And they're, they're very like into this, you know, critical race theory thing. And one guy named Alfred Brooks, she calls him Shivy Brooks. And he's like, no, well fashioned out and stuff like that. And there's a lot of stuff, they're very political t-shirts and stuff. And he put one out that said something like teach CRT, regardless of what your state laws say or something like that. And I just commented like, you know, isn't this worth having a conversation about? Cause I've been trying to have conversations with critical race theorists and they won't. Um, so then he set it up and it was me, him, and then uh, a woman named Louisa Duran, who's like a, a critical social justice, what is it, like a consultant. And then uh, Kate Slater, who has her degree in critical race theory. And she's the assistant dean at uh, somewhere, like, like a good school on a Brandeis, I think. And uh, anyway, so they came on. And w- I wanted to have a discussion. I wanted to see, like, I thought critical race theory was a bad idea. I thought a lot of this stuff is critical social justice stuff. I had James Lindsay on my podcast. So I was like, he was kind of breaking it down for me. And, it's like, oh, this seems bad. So I was like, I want to go in and see what's going on. And right away, they just, they were just, it was brutal. And, and so what I did was I tapped into curiosity and I just kept asking questions, kept asking questions and kind of kept them on the line. And they, you know, were saying things that were wild, like wild stuff. I mean, the Socratic method is toxic. They were saying the constitution should be burned. They were saying like really, really wild things just because I was asking questions. And at the end of it, what was kind of interesting to me was at the end of it, they were like, be careful what you ask for, Will. You went in the lion's den. They were so confident that they like owned me. And then we signed off. And then, you know, people started commenting and, and, and it kind of caught on. And then they were really upset and they wanted to shut it down. They were like, you know, delete it, get rid of it off the off of feeds and stuff like that. And then I recorded it and released it on my YouTube because I want more people to see it, but the only people who could see it was on his Instagram. Anyway, so he threatened to sue uh-huh. me and stuff. But I wanted everyone to see that. I was just saying, like, it's not for me. I don't want to be, like, famous. I want everyone to see that because I think it's one of the most upfront, this is what this thinking goes to, especially when people ask questions, which, like, a 10th grader is going to ask a lot of questions about this stuff. And this is the way you're going to respond. You're going to shame them for even asking the question and just say, you need to obey. And it, mm-hmm. I thought it was a really, really important conversation that I was just lucky to be a part of. But I wanted it to go viral as much as possible. I really did. So I think it's just so on there. But yeah. like he is, he was just like last week, he, um, he was a presenter at the biggest teacher conference in the country in Orlando. It was like, I don't know, it was like mm-hmm. a lot of people. I don't know what it was. It was like 5,000 people or all teachers just like celebrating. Like this is very mainstream in the teaching community way that that they were kind of thinking. Let me get this straight. So they mm. actually were okay. They they thought it was a great conversation, but it, w- it wasn't only 
until the comments started surfing, uh, you know, surfacing, and they saw the the reactions to the video that they become, became a little censorious and wanted to not post it. Is that is that what happened? They they thought that you know I was kind of owned that I looked foolish that I looked like I didn't know what I was talking about that I looked like you know ignorant and all that kind of stuff which sure but they um yeah I think that once people came in and said like you guys are out of your minds they said that that was you know violent words and mm. stuff they felt they felt very threatened like I literally had mm. letters come to my school I got people sending saying all kinds of terrible stuff but letters sent to my school like this person needs to go trying to get me fired and stuff that they sent, they said, get this, you know, this guy is posting our conversation without approval. So, you know, go after him, you know, he's not paying us for our emotional labor or something along those lines. So, you know, oh, basically wait, go after these him. same people, the same people yes. that you did the video with, they're the ones saying, <laughs> yes. oh, wow. the ones who said that I was like, I was like, can we just continue? Can we have more conversations? Like, oh, let's read books together. Let's do this. Let's. And they were like, sure. Now they blocked me. They, they immediately blocked me because I was asking them more questions privately. They, so they, they just wanted to shut wow. me down. It was, it was, it was really wow. like frustrating. Cause I was like, I was, I was legitimately excited when that started. I was like, this is, I can't believe this is happening. These are like real yeah. hardcore, like critical race theory people in education saying it needs to be taught in all schools and stuff. And they're going to just talk to me open forum like this. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and even said like, this is amazing that this is happening. And they're like, well, it's one of the tenets of social, uh, of critical race theories that you, you have debates and discussions. So of course we would never not nice. do that. Civil discourse. I block. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Block. <laughs> wow. Well, okay. But so I was going to ask you if, if you feel that these people that you spoke to are kind of emblematic of the larger movement or, or if they can kind of be dismissed as, you know, fringe people, but it seems like they're very prominent people. Yeah. Uh, yes. So they're fringe and just they're, they're fringe and everyone is scared to call them fringe or to say like, Oh, that seems like a crazy idea. So there it's, there's a lot of cowardice in education. There's a ton of cowardice. So they just won't, they won't say it. And they'll say it to me privately. I got a lot of teachers, teachers who are at this stupid conference who were like, man, that was really terrible. And then they're there like celebrating because you look left, you look right. And you know, black man's up there saying, you know, racial justice, you better clap. It's so, wow. so um, baffling, uh, the, the lack of courage to just say like, wait a second, I don't know, this doesn't seem right. Yeah. yeah. And how prepared were you when you went in there? Because, you know, you mentioned that you spoke to James Lindsay. Mm-hmm. The easiest thing to say is that he doesn't know what he's talking about and that, you know, he's, he's a terrible source from which to base your, your questioning and your reasoning on, on CRT. I mean, he knows, I don't, I mean, James has always been really sweet to me, but he hits his approach. Yeah. That I think it really rubs people the wrong way. I think he knows his yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know, so I went in, it was, I've had a conversation with a lot of people that were against it. So I was going in thinking like, this is a bad idea. So what am I missing? I was very sincere. I really was. I was sincere. Like I might be missing something here. I hope I get to find it. And instead I got confirmation bias, which I was not looking for. You know, you said um, in in education that courage is is in short supply. And I um, I don't know, I just, I just did a really deep dive into the history of the cultural revolution. And during that period of time, teachers were actually the targets during the cultural revolution in, in mm-hmm. the 60s, 1960s, 70s in China. And 
it struck me as um, how the whole thing was a student-led revolution and many students were betraying their teachers. They were turning them in and, you know, the, all these like public struggle sessions for teachers and the, the kind of the parallels between that period of time and what's going on now is, is a little harrowing. I do think we're, we're kind of seeing the authority gradient between teacher and student get diluted a little. Mm-hmm. And and now you know that what you saw with the described with Brett Weinstein and Nicholas Christakis is 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 a bit of a manifestation of that where the students were yelling at them, "What do you know? You know what were you yeah. telling a, a tenured Yale professor? What do you know? You know this is about creating a home. This is not about education. Like that 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 stuff was like to me. I I, I see shades yeah. of of what happened decades ago. And we're not learning from it, right? And so. You're a history teacher, you, you, you teach, you know, civics and, and social studies. And, and yet in California, we're making it requirements for all these students to take ethnic studies. And, and, and it seems like, look, time is finite. We, we have, you know, only a certain number of hours a day. And for every hour not spent teaching real history um, and, and, you know, and, and math or something, something that will help students become good citizens. Is an is an hour that you know is is robbing these kids of of a good chance at life, and I I worry about this um, what what's happening with with this lack of um, you know especially not teaching history properly because it does end up you know the reason why these wacky ideas seem to take root so easily now is because they're not learning you know like you made a very good point in in that video that we reference you know about owning property you said because. Uh, the one of the the teachers said that whiteness was rooted in in owning mm. other people as property, right? And you you brought up the point. You challenged that. You said, "Well, you know, this is not uh, isn't, white people didn't have a monopoly on owning other people. Like other you know other people around the world had all cultures almost had owned other people." And you brought up that point. And and then she kind of had to pivot and say, "Like, well, you know, we're only talking about whiteness here. Like, this is how it manifested here." But I feel like if if history was taught properly, right, that this would immediately be be something that pops up in students' head and they would question, like the moment, you know, they are taught this concept of whiteness or they see the museum, Smithsonian Museum, put out concepts of whiteness, they would start questioning, like, what? What does this mean? Like, I, I thought we were taught this, right? So how how can we go back to that? What is this impediment that 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 seems to be depriving students of being taught real history. Yeah, it's there's there's like a focus, there's a real focus on the right wing side of it, like whatever, like order chaos is a joint frontiers and thing. Like the uh like the um <laughs> the Nazi element, right? Because Nazism isn't worse than, you know, like Stalinism or Maoist China. Like when you try to talk about like numbers wise or anything like that, but it has like the race racist element to it. You know, I don't know. The whole thing is it's really frustrating that they're not getting it. There's a, here's an interesting um, like fact. In 1800, there were 195 countries, and maybe it's not exactly. I'm usually like 90% right with my facts, but there's some little thing off. But some like um, <laughs> you don't need like, to be. There's Google, so you don't have to be. Yeah. Uh, in, in 1800, I believe there was 195 countries, and slavery was legal in 194. And so, and then now that slavery is legal in like three countries, like North Korea and like I don't know. Turkmenistan or something like that. So like, so there's something that changed. So to say like, you know, 
Yeah, like so. Like I saw a teacher posted something like, "I'm not celebrating the fourth because when it was established, my people weren't free." It's like, I know, I know, like that. It's not good, but everything was bad. And the way I, I think about this, I'm always thinking through like metaphor for like my students to try and help them understand. It's like to go up to someone and say, you know, you're you're not a good runner because you used to be able to just crawl. It's like we were all crawling, man. Like we we. We, we evolved, we evolved as a, as a species, human beings have evolved mm. a lot to go from like, it's fine to own other people to it's not fine to own other people. So why are we holding the standard? I think it's just a myopic view of like that America is somehow unique. We're not unique in our horribleness. We had horribleness, but we're not unique in that. We're unique in, in being like the country that was established on these enlightenment principles to bring in that then spread throughout the world. So it, there's no conflict for me. Like that makes sense. So you can, you, I talk about a lot of really terrible things in history and I it shock my students about, you know, the atrocities of slavery and, and, um, racist actions and the, you know, the, um, black wall street and stuff like that. And talk about the thriving, you know, communities also, you know, like, like you have to talk about both. You have to give the, the reality that even during segregation, you know, in a lot of ways, black communities were doing better. So what is that? And the kids are like, well, that's confusing. I liked it when it, I had a simple understanding of things. I was like, well, sorry, that's not education then. <laughs> you know, my kids get really, really frustrated. My students get really frustrated because they're like, I knew, I knew I was right. And then I left your class and I don't even know what's what anymore. It's like, yeah, well, that's the way, that's uh, the way it kind of should be. You've got to figure it out. <laughs> you know, but I think a fair pushback to what you're saying mm-hmm. uh, about America and the 4th of July and slavery and things is, you know, America is unique, not in having slavery, but it is unique in its hypocrisy as, as founding itself on the ideals of all men are created equal and that we are endowed with inalienable rights while, you know, a a third of the country is in chains and, and literally being abused and, and subjected to horrific torture. Um, I think we're unique there. I think it's Absolutely. fun, you know, for us to parade ourselves as, you know, as George Carlin said, we're, we're a nation of, we're founded by slave owners who wanted to be free, right? The, the inherent right. hypocrisy yes. there is, I think, unique. So that's fair, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, 100%. That? And I, th- I think when that, that kind of stuff get, does get brought up by my students, like, and that's a great point. Mm-hmm. So like if we were in a class and I would say like, y- yes, yes, absolutely. But I think of America as an idea. It's the idea. And we were, I mean, there was a lot of contention even at our founding, before our founding about slavery, women's rights, all that kind of stuff. Like that was still going on. But they said, all right, well, so what we're going to do is we have to establish this now. We have to come together now. And then we'll set up pathways, channels to deal with this stuff down the road and find compromise and work our way through it. So I, mm-hmm. y- yeah, but like, I think if we, if we view America as an idea of this, that all men are created equal, that's the idea. It's not that we're doing it. It's like you have an aim, though. Like we have a, a our, yeah. our country has like a bullseye that we're aiming for. I think that that's probably a better way to approach it because then you can get around. Like, yes, there was a lot of hypocrisy, and that was part of the process to get us to where we're at now, and then hopefully where we're going to be in the future, which is a way more, mm. you know, like a Sheena Mason type approach. Uh, we love Sheena here. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. awesome. Uh, and I, I think. Um, you know, yeah, you know, we were talking a little bit before recording about the 4th of July and specifically Frederick Douglass's 4th of July yeah. speech and the way that he himself used the declaration 
of independence and used the Constitution and said, it's at the seeds of slavery's undoing is are right here in this document because nowhere in this document is slavery, you know, ratified. It's it's yeah. So it's kind of I mean, maybe it's a little bit revisionist and maybe it's a little bit rose colored to to say, but it it seems that perhaps in spite of themselves, the founders sort of set a bomb that was only going to go off, you know, a hundred plus years later, but I mean, it was what, there, you know, look, even if it is rose colored glasses, like what, what approach do you want to take? I mean, you, mm-hmm. you get, if you're going to choose the way to view this country that you're living in, in your situation, why not choose to say this was made for me? Like, it just, it's just going to serve you better. You know, it's the same thing mm-hmm. that's going on in, in the classroom is you know, the kids who are going to the best schools, the Ivy League schools and stuff like that, they're not the best and brightest. They're really not. Like I've taught in the hood and I've taught in like wealthy Bel Air kids and stuff like that. And the, the kids who end up going to Columbia, sometimes they're brilliant and sometimes their dad donated a library. So I taught kids who were you know, like Mexican, like gangster kids with neck tattoos when they were 15 years old were selling weed and stuff like that, who were brilliant, like really, really brilliant. Not like, I'm like, oh, you're smart too, like patronizing way. Like really, like this kid was born in Marin County. He'd be an engineer for Google type of brilliant. And mm. so, so it's, it's, I, I think that the, what's happening with um, the, the model curriculum and ethnic studies and stuff, I think studies can be done well, sure. But what we got to do is there is untapped resources. It's foolish. It's a foolish approach, even for corporations and stuff, to say, we're gonna, it's like drilling for oil. We're drilling for oil in the same areas over and over and over again. Harvard, Westlake, and whatever it is, you know, the Dalton School or whatever it is. We're going the same wells, where there are wells that are just a bubbling with good crude right in, in watts. Like, there really are. You just, we just have to find a way to, we got to get a special kind of drill bit to get in there. And we're just too lazy to do it or, or we're not seeing it. But I think it's a real mistake. I think that it's, it's a shame how much untapped genius we have. And we're focusing on telling them that they're not geniuses. <laughs> we're telling them that they're not capable of doing anything because the world is out to get them. The country's out to get them. Where what these kids need is encouragement and a real belief that like they can go out and, and just kill it because they can. Mm-hmm. And mentorship. I, I, I think that's, that's so much, you know, that, that is lacking in, in some of these yeah. communities. They, they need a, a teacher to, to be there with them mm-hmm. and have lunch with them every day or, you know, just be a really good mentor. Yeah. It just seems like, like, I mean, I look back at like, you know, my education, that the things you end up liking are the things, are, are the topics that you had really good teachers in. Like mm-hmm. this is, you know, like you'll hear people, like kids say like, oh, I hated chemistry. Yeah. Most of the time, they just, if you drill down a little bit, they just had a really bad chemistry teacher. They have a good experience yeah. in the class. It's almost like that makes such a big difference, even for kids deciding later on, what am I going to pursue as an entire career? Like teachers have that mm-hmm. impact, right? And it's huge. It's, 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 it's formative. So I, 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 yeah. I can't, um, you know, stress just how much what teachers are doing. Like you, you said, like in your intro, you're like, oh, I'm just a teacher. It's not just. I, I think that's, I think that's kind of like playing down how important teachers are, right? And and then you said you cringe when you when when like oh, influencer. You are an yeah. influencer in so many kids' lives, <laughs> and and it's a lot it's of true. it's a lot of trust, right? Like like to for parents too. And it, it's it's right now what's going on in schools is like this teacher parent trust is now breaking down. Mm-hmm. You're seeing that with what's happening with gender ideology, some of these um, 
TikTok videos that, you know, that Twitter account libs of TikTok have been blasting out with like mm-hmm. teachers just kind of, you know, po- what they're posting themselves on, on TikTok, talking about how they're indoctrinating the kids and everything. Yeah. And it's breaking down now this trust between teachers and parents. And I, I, I do worry because they used to work, you know, a, a lot closer in, in concert and, and kids are ultimately harmed when that trust is, is broken. Have you experienced any of this? Uh, are you hearing a lot about this from fellow teachers? From what, what part in particular? The, the trust issue, like how now um, parents uh, are, you know, like yeah, distrustful yeah. teachers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I appreciate you saying that about teacher. Here's the thing though, is, um, I, I was having dinner with someone who has like a really big podcast and I don't mean to say their name, but like, you know, hundreds of thousands of downloads, everything. And they are in these circles, you know, like whatever, like the big podcast circles. And I said, do you guys ever talk to really smart? You guys on here have had really like big names, powerful, you know, intellectuals and stuff. Like how often does K through 12 education really come up? Like it's almost never. I, I don't think Joe Rogan, biggest podcast in the world, has ever had a teacher on, like has ever really discussed the education system. Like, I understand and I, I appreciate like the, the props. I really do. I'm not just saying that. Like it's, it's I agree with you. <laughs> um, but it's interesting how little people seem to care about the school. Like I think people get into it for politics, critical race theory or no, but like, you know, I don't, I haven't heard Steven Pinker talk about it. You know, like I would mm-hmm. like to, like what, what, what is, he's super genius. What, what, what do we do about the education system? It's a little frustrating how much people say like, oh, teach what you do is really important. But the reason that I downplay it is in now that I'm in this like kind of social media podcast world to some degree, like I, it feels very much just like, oh, you, you just, what you do isn't like real intellectual or what you do isn't really important. You know, I mean, it's, Mm. it's actually very interesting how little, you know, Sam Harris has ever talked about education or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I, I, I think I have a theory about that, though, because yeah, please. My, my theory about why that is, is because, well, two things. One is, you know, Stephen Pinker teaches at university level. That's kind of all he knows, right? So that, that's mm-hmm. one. And, and then the other one is, honestly, a lot of the big podcast people, they're not really sending their kids to public schools, <laughs> okay? They're, mm. they're probably sending their kids to private schools like yours, where this isn't that much yeah. of an issue. And, and it's clearly big enough for for the middle class, for the average American, they care so much about what's happening in K to 12, right? That's the reason why Chris Rufo has blown up to be the person, the activist, journalist that he is right now. It's because he's made this a bread and butter issue. And so there's a bit of a gap between the elite intellectual and what they, what they, what he or she cares about and the average person. So I think the average person actually is really motivated by this, but but the Mm. problem is your, your, your big um, podcaster that has like, you know, like Joe Rogan's not sending his kid to public school. No, so he no. My really friend actually taught his, taught his yeah. daughter. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a public school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so Middle America does it, but like, even if you take like the intellectual podcast space, like they don't discuss it much. But then you go to like whatever, like Logan Paul doesn't talk. About it. So it, it's almost like nowhere in like a mainstream, like this whatever these channels are, you know, this podcasting social media world seems to be discussing it. And the ones that are in talking about education are the ones who are very politically, whatever, woke. Like the ones that I, that I talk mm, about right. and talk to and stuff like that. There's very few. Mm. Like I fell into this because I think that I'm tapping into what you're saying. Like people in middle, middle, most people that follow me are just like moms from whatever, like Illinois or something like that. 
and they're like, thank you, thank you, thank you. But like, I think that there's, there's just not a, a lot of it. And, uh, I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, but it's yeah, going back sure. to what you said. Yeah. About the, uh, about the, um, the trust for sure. I think that you're giving kids, a, you're giving kids an easy out. And I've had several friends who my students know they can't pull it with me. Um, but I have a lot of friends who's, you know, if they fail a kid, the kid will just play a race card. Like they'll just say you failed because of this. And like, they have to have their ducks in line. So when you call that, you go in front of the administration and you have to show here's what an A paper looks like. Here's what a B paper looks like. You have to like have it all lined up. It happened to a good friend of mine just recently. So you're giving kids a lot of power. When I was in high school, if I could have played that card, oh my gosh, why would I not? No, high school kids. I love teenagers, man. They're the best because they're so just like looking for the holes in the system, like the velociraptors well, on the fence we, in Jurassic Park. As we know from your 23 and Me, you definitely can't play that card. No, no, you couldn't. You have couldn't have. They'll be like German oh and English. No, no. I'm just yeah, such an. You failed right me because I don't get poison ivy. <laughs> I'm colorblind. No one gives a crap about that. <laughs> but. You know, so yeah, it seems like the problem is that uh, the the biggest podcasters either don't have children or they mm. send their children to private school. So I don't know if yeah, how many just don't. I don't know how many. You know, like I don't know if Logan Paul has kids, right? But it's no, like, well, that's <laughs> those what they influencers said. don't have kids, probably. Yeah, they said yeah. something like that. Like, why would I care if I don't have kids? That's what he said to me. Those guys, like, I was like, which is crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Do crazy care about society? Like, yeah, that's crazy. ignorance is <laughs> like these people running around with terrible ideas and who are super uneducated is bad. Having, having, you yeah. know, literacy rates where they are is just terrible for everyone. Like, what do you mean? Like, why yeah. are you thinking yeah. so selfishly? Like if, if anything, I mean, that's the thing for to me, like my conception of it is like the most selfish thing you can do is to think about and care about everybody else because you have to live with everybody. Like yeah. you, you, these people are going to be on the road next to you. You kind of want them to know how to drive, right? These people are yeah. going to be filing paperwork for you. You kind of want them to know how to read. Like all these, you know, you're going to be interacting with people. Nobody's an island, right? Yeah, but they're isolated, right? People get isolated yeah, behind gates just, and fences. And then eventually it'll, something will jump over that. Yeah. It's just weird though. But even then it's like, well, why would you want the other side of the fence or the other side of your gate? to be dangerous or not something you want to be around, right? Now you're stuck in your house. It just sucks. Like, why wouldn't yeah. you, you know, that's what, that's my thing is just the best thing you could do for yourself is to be good to others and to try and make it so that other people are living their best lives. Because then when you walk out, you're surrounded by people who are happy and fulfilled and creative and coming up with cool stuff that you never would have thought of and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it um, seems so simple to me too. <laughs> yeah well, i guess the, the simplicity is the point right that's the, the simplicity is the difficulty but yeah. you are doing something really remarkable you know your your instagram you have a very very large following and the content that you're putting out is so fantastic and i just would love to, before we before we get to the last question yeah. i'd love if you just talked a little bit about your approach you know you you your your focus Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we have we have a lot in common with this. Your focus is all about drilling down into the uniting principles. Yeah, what you call the uniting principles. Tell us a lot, a, lot, a little bit about that, and yeah, how that how that shapes your worldview and how you approach, you know, myriad topics from you know the gender thing. Like you just did a a post about the what is a woman documentary. You, mm. you did a post about hmm. you've done stuff about CRT. You've done all this stuff, and it seems like that's the unifying sort of thing for you 
Yeah, I, I, I chose Instagram, not Twitter. I, I don't know why. I think it was just the one that my wife uses for a business. So I was like, all right, yeah, I'll use this. And I didn't know anything about social media. So I didn't know the rules to it, which is nice. Like my students are like, my students will say like, oh, I like this girl. And I was like, well, just send her a direct message. On, like, you can't just slide in the DMs like that. Like, what do you, why? why? You can't. <laughs> so, um, so I started just putting ideas out there to, to kind of always look for, you know, here's my idea. Where is this wrong? And, and they, they like, you know, it just kind of like conform and I could show my face. I, I thought the personal element was really important because a lot of people who are mean to me, um, they don't show their faces and, uh, or it's all just like, you know, it's like all anonymous. I'm very open. I don't show like my kid. I don't show like a lot of like, per, I don't, here's my address or anything, but like, I'm, I'm pretty, um, you know, upfront about like, this is me, this is me. So I put these ideas out there and sometimes people are really upset. And uh, I shared this with John Hyde actually like two weeks ago because he's very vocal about the negatives of social media, particularly Instagram. So I, I, I said, let me show you what, I, what I'm doing here. So I got my phone. I went to my account. And I was like, okay, here's someone that was really upset with me in like a comment section. And here's what I did. I, and I do this often is I'll go to that person and I'll go slide in the DMs and I'll go to a video. And I'll sometimes be like playing with my kid or something like that. And I'll be like, hey, my name is Will. I'm a real person. Uh, this is my son, right? Okay. And, I'll like put my, and then I'll say like, okay, so I must have said something that really upset you. I, that was not my intention. I'm here trying to figure it out. I'm just a teacher. Like, would you be open to having a discussion with me where we can try and work this out and see, see, what, see where we agree and disagree? I do that. Okay. And then a lot of times they'll just like block me or whatever it is, or, um, or if not block me, then they'll, you know, ignore me. But sometimes they come back and they're like, oh, I didn't expect you to, to respond. Or they'll say something like, yeah, I will. And then I could take it to an um, Instagram live conversation. And then I'm always trying to find like common ground. And, and why do you think what you think and all that kind of stuff. And I'm batting close to a thousand for the people that choose to engage with me um, of like getting them to kind of understand a little bit, soften up a little bit. I learned something, they learned something. Even if I don't learn like like change my mind. I learned about why they think what they think. Like some of these people who have these radical ideas, they've been hurt in a whole bunch of different ways. They've had certain experiences. That's valuable to me too. So I think, I think social media is, is a really awesome tool for uniting people and getting to know people. There was a, a teacher, we were teaching, uh, a teaching on Zoom during COVID. And this woman in Brittany Caldwell, Caldwell's classroom, she is like one of those influential teachers. She's great. She's a black woman who teaches at an all black school in Georgia. She was. And I was like, man, these Zoom classes suck. She's like, yeah. I was like, why don't we just unite our classes? So we did. So I connected with her and then we um, did a, a unite our two classes, me at this like Jewish school and her at this, you know, all black school in Atlanta. And then we broke, put them in the breakout rooms of like groups of four and they just talked and it was so cool. And I was like, that wow. social media, you can do that on social media. If you're like, what is it like to be a MAGA hat wearing trans person? Find one send them a DM, send them a video, be like, I didn't know you existed. You're like a unicorn. Tell me about your experience. <laughs> you can do that. And it's shocking yeah. how people just use social media for divisive, toxic, gross, just ugh, when they could be using it for educational purposes. And I think that's what I'm using it for. And I, 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 I love it. I think it's really, really great. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I have a similar experience on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think I don't yeah. think it's very common. No, but I think that's our our job is to make it more common and, you know, I'm glad you are kind of challenging that, 
you know, that notion that, that social media is inherently toxic, because I think it's the same kind of argument people make about science, that science is inherently mm. toxic. Look at all the crap it brings us, but not focusing on the fact that it can do a lot of good as well, just to see it, right. you know, just in, in that way. Again, it's, it really is how you use it, right? And so you're modeling the, yeah. the behavior that you want to see in the world. So I right. think that's, that's very, very powerful. We're, we're just going to wrap up and ask you the, the same last question that we asked everybody else. Um, in, in a way, I think your entire philosophy already kind of answers this question, but we're looking for something a bit pithier. Our focus at FAIR is, is providing pro-human alternatives to you know, some the, the issues that, that we deal with every day. What does being pro-human mean to you and how can everyday people take a pro-human approach to these issues in their lives and also in their communities? Yeah, um, I have three kids. So I have a, a 10-month-old now and a seven and a five-year-old. And it's really neat to watch my, my 10-month-old is, he's sinless. He's perfect. He doesn't do anything wrong. And then my five-year-old, he lies sometimes and he does things, but he does it for protective purposes. He does it for, cause he's scared. He does it for a whole bunch of different reasons. And then I, when you're raising kids like this and then I'm around teenagers all the time and like you get to know them and they do some bad things. You go, they're not a bad person. They're, they're, they're acting this way for a reason. So the pro-human approach is just to recognize that people have really flawed actions and decisions. I have a friend who's a therapist for, um, for convicted pedophiles. And I made a joke that was like, basically that they should be like killed. And she was like, how many of my clients do you think were, um, horribly sexually abused themselves as kids? I was like, I don't know. She's like 100%. The created monsters. We don't excuse bad behaviors, hurting people, anything like that, but we can understand it and we can see the humanity in these horrible acting people, I think that that's the best approach. I think that if we can do that through channels of social media and things like that, I think that it'd be, it's, it's the, the best pathway forward. And I hope it's the inevitable path, pathway forward. And I'd rather get there sooner rather than later. But just seeing people as like, they're, they're, we're all messed up and we all have our reasons why we act the way that we do. And I think that helping people to, uh, to engage with them, help them to, you should help you should try to see them the way that they wish to be seen. So, so they are putting off some sort of thing out into the world that they want you to see them this way. So acknowledging that, that they actually care about the way that they're perceived and things, I think that, that helps as well. But yeah, I, I, I love talking to, to different people, especially people that I disagree with, because I, I always learn about why we disagree. And I think that's useful too. That's very powerful. Thank you, Will, for joining us on Fair Perspectives. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was really great. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Fair Perspectives. If you'd like to support the show, you can do it by subscribing on YouTube and on your favorite podcast platform and leaving us a positive rating and review. You can also access exclusive podcast content, such as Q&As and bonus episodes, by visiting us and signing up at fairperspectives.org. For weekly fair news and opinion pieces by members of the fair community, visit our Substack at fairforall.substack.com and tune in to Fair News Weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to join or support the pro-human movement, visit us at fairforall.org slash join us. Thanks again and see you next time.